0: All right, guys, let's settle down. Hey, settle down. This is a playoff-like atmosphere. There is a ton at stake right now in all that we have done, all that we've worked for, all the tears, all the sweat, all of the late nights, all of the dirty diapers. Taylor, where are you at? What do you do when your kid throws a temper tantrum at H-E-B? Give him what he wants so he'll shut up and stop bothering me! Wrong! Shepherd their heart, not their behavior. Edwards, what do you do when the chores don't get done?
1: Uh, just let my wife do it. It's faster.
0: Wrong! Promote personal responsibility in a Godward orientation! That sounds difficult. What?! What are you going to do when you got a 26-year-old man-child in your basement, doesn't have a job, playing video games, taking up all your Netflix queue? Does that sound like a good plan? No, no, not now, Jerry, no. Williams!
1: Hang on. Yes, sir.
0: What do you do when your kid gives you lip? You give them lip right back. Wrong! Teach them to submit to authority. Hey, you submit to authority, man. Jerry, still not now. This right now, this is our house. This is your house. This is what you need. Jerry, now would be the time. All right, let's go. Let's get out here, and let's go separate the heck fire out of these kids. Let's go.
1: And that's why we're doing a series on parenthood. Uh, How many of you here this morning are a parent? know a parent or have a parent, and would agree that apparently parenting can be challenging. If you agree that parenting can be challenging, just go ahead and raise your hand right now. Good, that's, that's pretty much every single one of us here. Uh, by the way, Stephen, if you don't have parents, then you're probably not here today. Uh, studies show that uh, if your parents didn't have children, there's a 100% chance that you won't have children either. Um, some of you are going to get that later. But uh, parenting is a challenge, man. And, and I'll tell you, I did, uh, I served 10 years uh, as a youth pastor. Um, I was going to say prison, and sometimes it felt that way, but 10 years in youth ministry and uh, I always loved what Samuel Clements, uh, uh, Mark Twain, had to say about parenting teenagers. He said, when they're 13 years old, you put them in a barrel and you nail the lid shut. Then you feed them through the knot hole. And when they're 16, you plug the knot hole. All right? So we all know that parenting can be challenging. But as challenging as it is to be a parent, as much uh, uh, as there is of a challenge, there's also great joy that comes along with being a parent. We know that there's great joy, but sometimes there's great pain. Sometimes as parents, we fail. We mess up, and uh, uh, it's painful. Sometimes our kids, even though we've put them on the right track, they make their own decisions, and they choose not to do the right thing. And that can be painful as a parent too. But I've got to tell you, the joy that comes from being a parent is unlike any other joy that I've ever experienced in my life. I love it. Um, it's one of my favorite things. One of the things that I love about it is just the plethora of stories that I have to tell my kids are only three years old and we have like funny stories that we just sit there in bed at night and we we talk about like oh do you remember when they said this Do you remember when they did this um this past week bear one of our kids had been watching tv apparently and uh, uh he was in the bathtub with Amanda and he had a little duck and he said I quack I quack she's like do you mean Aflac he goes no I quack uh you know he just like little things like that that they don't get Malachi uh, we told him, my mom told him the story of the big bad wolf. And, uh, you know, she was playing up the story. And, and then uh, that night, he went to bed. And I'm tucking him in the bed. And he goes, big bad wolf, not going to get me? You know, he's like two years old. And, and he's all freaking out. And a couple weeks ago, uh, kids were learning about David in Sunday school. And they learned about how David killed the lion. Later that week, uh, I come home from work. And Amanda tells me that Bear has been running back and forth across the living room. And he'd get to one side of the living room. And he'd go, and then you run over to this side, and you go, and she's like, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm killing T-Rexes with my slingshot like David. And like, just funny stuff like that that happens all the time. They keep us on our toes. Uh, it is um, a great thing to be a parent. And this morning as we start our Parenthood series, we're going to be looking at the parent's priority. What is our priority as a parent? And here's the summary statement um, that, that we're going to work off of this morning. A parent's priority, this is it, a parent's priority is to gradually transfer a child's dependence away from them and, uh, until it rests solely on God, right? I'll say that again. As a parent, your priority is to transfer a child's dependence away from you until it rests solely on God. When kids are born, when they're first born, man, they are completely dependent on their parents. Amen? Nobody knows that better than parents of triplets. Like, we immediately went into zone defense. There was no one-on-one. There was no two-on-one. We were in zone the whole time. And let me tell you, those kids need you for everything. But it's your job as a mom and as a dad to slowly transfer that dependence Away from yourself until it rests solely on God. Not on themselves, not on their friends, not on society, not on anything that anyone else has to offer. Their dependence needs to rest solely on God. This is a big task, but this is the parent's priority. And we see this very clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Just a little bit of background of Deuteronomy. Uh, The nation of Israel has gathered on the east side of the Jordan. And they're getting ready to cross over into the promised land that God had promised them. And Moses gathers them together. This is not the same generation that left out of Egypt. This is a new generation. And so he reminds them of God's law. And he says, let me remind you of God's law. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, he's just given them the Ten Commandments. Again, the second time, he's given them the Ten Commandments. So he gives them the Ten Commandments, and then he says this. In chapter 6, verse 1, he says, these are the commands decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that, so that who? So that, say it with me, you, who else, your children, and who else, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping his decrees and commands that I give you, and that you so that you may enjoy long life. All right, so three generations that you, that your children, and their children may fear the Lord. That's three generations. Do you realize that as a parent, you have the power, you have it within you to affect three generations. As you lead your kids, as you show them the ways of God, and you teach them what it looks like to be solely dependent on God, that is going to transform your life. That is life-changing. They're going to see it, and they're going to pick up on it. And their life is going to be transformed because they're going to want to be like mom and dad. They're going to see the difference between what God has to offer and what the world has to offer, and they're going to say, I want this and not this. Their life is going to be changed, and then that is going to affect how they parent their children and how they raise their children. You have within you the power to change generations upon generations by being a parent. How awesome. Is that? How awesome is that? And how in the world do we do that? Well, let's read on. Scripture's going to tell us Deuteronomy chapter 6. Look at verse 4. He says this He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Say it with me. With how much? With all of your heart. And with how much? All of your soul. And with how much? All of your strength. So here's what we do. The first thing that we have to do as a parent. If we're going to transfer uh, our child's dependence away from ourselves. And we're going to have them rest solely on God. Their dependence resting solely on God. The first thing we have to do is love our God. That is first and foremost our responsibility as a parent. Is to love our God. Say that out loud. Love our God. That's our responsibility. But how do we do that? How do we love our God? Well, it tells us. We saw it in verse, in verse uh, 5. He says, love the Lord your God with how much again? Remind me, with all. Not with some, not with a portion, not with a fraction, but with all. Many, if not most of us, are guilty of loving God with just some of our heart and not giving him all of our heart. And that is a dangerous thing for our kids to see. That is a dangerous thing for our kids to see, and let me tell you why. Let me um, paint a picture for you. Uh, How many of you guys got a flu shot this last year? Uh, I typically, my wife and my kids do, but I typically do not. I'm not a big fan of needles, and uh, one of my best friends said it best. We were working at a a church together, and they were offering free flu shots for everybody on staff and we're sitting around talking with a group of people. And they said, hey, you guys going to go get a flu shot? And Bob says, no, I'd rather have the flu uh, than, than get a shot. And I kind of feel the same way sometimes. But uh, when you get a flu shot, what do they give you? They give you just a little bit of the flu. They give you just a little bit of the flu. And what does that do? It, immune, it makes you immune to the actual flu. When you give your kids just a little bit of God, you make them immune to the whole greatness of God. You make them immune to his power. You make them immune to how awesome and how amazing he is because you've given them just a little bit. And they see just a little bit and they think, well, that's enough. If I just have a little bit, then a little bit is enough. But they need all of God. They need to come down with a fever for God. They need to be consumed by him and by his presence. It's not enough for us to give our kids just a little bit of God because what happens is before long, they have just a little bit of God and they know some things about God and they may be able to say some things or do the right thing that, re- that look like they know God, but they're missing out on a personal relationship with God. That's what we want for our kids. Not just to know about God. We want them to know God. We want them to have a personal relationship with him. And this is a challenge because there are a lot of things that can come along that distract us as parents. And, and you know, pastors are, are no different than anyone else. We're, we're as guilty as this as, as anyone else. We want good things for our kids. But we trick ourselves into thinking that if I can just give my kids a little bit more than what I had growing up, then they'll be okay. Like if I can just give them a little bit bigger house... If I can give them just a little bit nicer car, then they'll be okay. And so dads, moms, we go out and we work. And we work hard because in the back of our mind we're thinking, I've got I've to give my kids more. I need to give them more. But what our kids need is not more. They don't need more stuff. They don't need more things. They don't need bigger things. They need more of us. They need more of us. It's showing them what it looks like to love God. What do we do? We go out and we work hard so we can buy them that nice car, you know, the ones that have side curtain airbags, that have airbags, that have airbags, and and we get them leather seats, and since it's hot in Texas, we, we make sure that those leather seats, man, those... Those are cooled leather seats, and sometimes it gets cold, so they need to be heated leather seats, and, and God forbid their little booties sit on cloth rather than leather, so we work hard and we put them in sports from the time they can walk or crawl. We put them in t-ball and gymnastics and swimming and everything under the sun, and before you realize it, we are scheduling our kids and we're not discipling them. Parents, let me ask you, are you scheduling your kids or are you discipling them? Which is it? How much are you giving your kids? Do you love God with all your heart? And are your kids picking up on that? What they need is they need a relationship with God. And if we're not careful, we end up becoming child-centered parents instead of God-centered parents. We end up having all of our focus on our kids rather than on God. And believe me, they notice. Believe me, they pick up on all of that. One of the things is, uh, it blows my mind. When I was a youth pastor, I would would meet with parents and I would encourage them and help them walk along with their kids. Because let me tell you, as a youth pastor and as a pastor, as a church, uh, it is not my job to disciple your kids. That is your job. I want to come alongside you and I want to help you do that the best that you can. But that is not my job. I see your kids one hour out of every week. That is not enough. You've, there are 168 hours out of a week. And if the only exposure to God they're getting is one hour out of every week, that's not enough. You disciple your kids. And so I would meet with parents, and, and usually it was the dad. I'd sit down with the dad, and he'd say, you know what? I, I really want to raise my kids to love God with all their heart. And I'd say, well, do you love God with all your heart? Yes, I do. Great. Let's move forward. Let's get together. In fact, I had one guy that, that he and I were getting together, and we were sitting down. We were doing discipleship. I was taking him through studies, and he was memorizing Scripture, and he was getting to know God. And then uh, after a couple months, uh, I just never saw him anymore. He stopped showing up for discipleship, and, and I never saw him at church. And then I ran into him out at the store, and I said, hey, man, where have you been? I, I haven't seen you around. What's going on? You guys going to another church? Because if you are, that's awesome. I'm just glad that you're plugged in. He goes, no, no, we haven't, we haven't been to church. Uh, and I was like, w- what's going on? You guys okay? Is anybody sick? I mean, can, can we come and take care of you? He goes, no, no, no. Uh, we're just busy. You know, my son's in baseball this year and he moved up a division and and they ask him to be on this team and they play on Sunday mornings so we can't make it. And then my daughter, uh, you know, she's got to be here for gymnastics and and it starts right after church and, you know, that's just too much to rush. And, and, you know, sometimes the football games come on and and I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy to go to church. I was thinking in the back of my head, you love God with all your heart and you are too busy to worship with God's people. You love God with all your heart, and you are too busy to worship God with God's people. That does not make sense to me. I, I couldn't wrap my mind around that. Parents, let me tell you, your involvement in church matters. It is important, because your involvement, whether you come or whether you don't come, sends a message to your kids. When you say, oh, we've got this, We're going to miss church today. This is more important. And, you know, hey, this is only 12 weeks of whatever we're going to miss. Uh, What kind of message are you sending to your kids? Are you demonstrating that you love God with all your heart? Or are you demonstrating that you love something else? Your kids are picking up on it. Uh, There was a study done a couple years ago that shows the importance of parental involvement at church. And when I say involvement, I don't mean you show up 10 minutes late. Um, sit in the back with your coffee and donuts and check out before the offering, so that you can beat everybody to lubies. Right? That's not what I'm talking about. I mean involvement. I mean that you are involved in church, that you are participating in the body of Christ. That when you think about church, you say, "I am a part of the body. I have a biblical function in the body. It is important that I be here. I have biblical community with other believers. I am involved in my church." Right, The other stuff, showing up late, sitting in the back, leaving early, rushing out of here, that's a spectator sport. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being involved. And look at this. Um, if kids went to church, neither mom or dad went to church, only 6% of kids will become active Christ followers as adults. If only mom went to church, 15% of kids will be active Christ followers as, as adults. Now dads, pay attention to this. If only dad went to church, 55% of kids will be active Christ followers as adults. Dads, do not underestimate your influence over your children. I know there's some single moms out there, and and that's not to say that, uh, that your kids are a lost cause. Not at all. But dads, do not underestimate the influence that you have over your kids of what it means for you to be the spiritual leader in your household. Moms encourage your dads, your husbands to be the spiritual leader in the household and let them lead. Let them lead. Bad things happen when you try to usurp that, when you reverse those roles. I've got family, extended family, that uh, when I have discussions with my parents, like how did they get so jacked up? And like this part of our family is somewhat normal. We're not as jacked up, but this over here is like jacked up. And my mom says, well, look at the structure of their household. Who's in charge in that house? Who wears the pants in that family? Moms, encourage your husbands to lead. Come alongside them. There is a partnership that has to take place in order for that to be a healthy relationship. Dads, you got to step up and lead. It is important that you lead. Don't miss out on that. But look at this. If both mom and dad are actively involved in the church, 72% of kids become active Christ followers as adults. 72% parents, it is important that you lead, not just with your actions, not just with your words, but that you set example, uh, not just with your words, but with your actions as well. Um, Amanda, aka the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, has been on to me since our kids have been born about uh, my language sometimes. Now, you're probably thinking like, do, do pastors say bad words? Uh, well, not... not like the big ones. Uh, I tend to stay away from the big ones. But, you know, there's stuff like, like every once in a while I'll say, dang it, darn it. You know, one of those will just come out and you think everything's fine. And in fact, there's one that I used to say um, kind of regularly because I thought, you know, it's not the big one. It's, it's just this one. Um, it rhymes with, with snap. Uh, and, and I used to just like say it. And when I'd get angry, it wasn't like every day, but I'd get angry. I'd smash my finger and I'd say, oh, snap, uh, and uh, I'll never forget, our kids were just learning to talk, we were, we were at a grocery store, and uh, they were they were a little bitty, they weren't walking yet, but they were talking, um, they were walking a little bit, but not enough for us to let them down, so I set them down, and they were kind of standing there, because my arms were getting tired, and I, I pulled the keys out of my pocket, and I reached down to pick up both boys, and I had both boys, and my wife had my daughter, and I dropped my keys, and I said, oh, snap, and uh, Bear heard me, and he goes, cap, 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 and he's going, cap, 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 and I was like, oh, yes, Daddy has a cap on, uh, and, and I realized that, that that was not okay. Like, you think, okay, that's okay, until you hear it come out of the mouth of your child, and then you're like, okay, this is not the example that I need to be setting, and Amanda is very good about saying, okay, remember, you got to say this, and even little stuff, like, like when I'm driving, I'm like, ah, oh, that guy's so stupid. And then you hear your kids from the back say, oh, that's stupid. And you're like, oh man, it sounds really bad coming out of the mouth of a two and a half year old coming out of a three year old. I gotta watch what I say. It is important that we are careful with our words, that we are careful with our actions. Let me ask you, uh, do you love God with all your heart? Or do you love God with some of your heart? If I were to come to your house unannounced and look at the magazines that's, that are on your coffee table or they're in your bathroom by the toilet, If I were to look at those, what would it tell me about your heart? Would it demonstrate that you love God with all your heart, or would it show me that your heart is somewhere else? If I were to look at the books that you read, what would it tell me? If I were to sit down and watch the TV shows that you normally watch with you, what would I learn about your heart? If I looked at your Netflix queue, what would it tell me about your heart? If I were to get on your computer and look at your search history for the last month, What would it tell me about your heart? Would it tell me you love God with all your heart, or would it paint a different picture? If I were to listen to the words that you say in your house, dang it, snap, what would it tell me about your heart? What would it tell me? If I were to look at your calendar and where you spend your time with your kids, what would it tell me about your heart? If I were to open your checkbook, what would it reveal? About your heart, not what you hope to be, not what you pretend to be, not what you claim to be, but what you really are is what matters it doesn 't matter what you, what you say, this is what I want to do. What matters is what you actually do. Do you love God with all your heart that is the first way that, that we begin uh, transferring our child 's dependence away from us and onto God himself. We have to love. God, with all of our heart. And here's the second way we do that, is that we lead our family. But it's not just enough to lead our family. We have to lead them intentionally. Both mom and dad have to lead intentionally. Intentionally. Where do we see that? Let's pick up in verse 6. He says, these are the commands that I give you today. They are to be upon your hearts. What are we supposed to do with them? Say this with me. We are to impress them. On your children. We are to talk about them when you sit at home, when you drive to school, when you're on your way to t ball practice. You talk about them. And when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Put the Word of God in front of you at every turn. Keep the Word of God in front of your children. At all times. That's what he's saying here. Parents, we have to lead our children intentionally. Uh, There's a quote by the Duke of Windsor, Edward Duke of Windsor, from a long time ago, and he says this. He says, what impresses me most about America is the way parents obey their children. Think about that. What impresses me most about America is the way parents obey their children. Parents, are you leading your children or are they leading you? Lead intentionally. You lead them. You lead. How do we do that? Well, what I'm not going to do this morning is tell you exactly uh, what it looks like to lead intentionally because what works for your family and what is right for your family um, may not be what my family does. But I'll give you just a couple ways that we do it. Uh, If it's encouraging to you, if it works for you, Feel free to use it. Uh, I, I'd encourage you, get with other couples throughout the week and just say, hey, what do you guys do to lead intentionally? Uh, and, and ask what's going on. Like what are some th- ideas, thoughts that we can come up with that we could lead our families intentionally? Um, one of the first things that we do as a family is we value education. Um, both my wife and I, my, my wife was an educator before we had our kids, and she stayed home. Uh, she worked in, in all different grades, but she's got a background in English, so we read a lot. We read a lot to our kids, and and primarily we read scripture. Um, We don't read, you know, the NIV, but we've got a little children's Bible that's appropriate for their age. We've been through it probably three or four times since they've been born, and we started when they were a little bitty. We read scripture to them, Uh, but we also read other books. They love to read. Our kids, a lot of kids go to bed, and they want a toy in their bed. Our kids go to bed, and they want a book. Like, they want to look at a book while they're falling asleep, and that's just what they do. Like, We don't watch a lot of TV in our house. Um, They'll play a lot of games, but generally you can find our kids with a book. They love—they don't really read yet, but they they have read certain books so often, like Brown Bear has been memorized since they could talk at our house. Um, We we read to them. We're very intentional about that. Other things that we do are that we value our family time uh, because we recognize that where family identity is strong, peer pressure is weak. And where family identity is weak, peer pressure is strong. And so we value our family time. We don't put our kids in a million different things going in all different directions. I know they're, they're young at this time, and, and as they get older, they'll get involved in stuff, but, but we really try to value our family time. Um, our, our parents, both my parents and Amanda's parents, will often call and say, Let us watch the kids this weekend. Let the kids come to our house. Let them spend the night. Let me take care of the kids. And a lot of the times we say no, and they don't get it because what they don't understand is, is that we value our family time. And a lot of times as a pastor, I may have counseling sessions in the evening, and I've got breakfast in the morning, and then I'm working throughout the day. And there are a lot of times when uh, just because of certain seasons that, that I'm not home, I'm not around in the evening. So Friday night comes, Saturday comes, Saturday's my Sabbath, and man, we say this is family day parents are tricky. They always, they always do this. They're like, so what do you guys have going on this weekend? They want to know, like, do you already have plans? or Are you just brushing me off? And it's like, hey, look, we don't have anything going on, but we're going to have family day. And we may not go anywhere. We may not get out of our pajamas all day long, but we're having family day. We're spending time as a family. We value that time our vacation times, we, we go camping, we do stuff as a family, um, we do things that, that everybody can do, we have a great time at our house, ever since the kids were able to stand up, Saturday, Sunday night became pancake and dance party night, um, we cook pancakes, and we turn on some music, and we have a dance party, like we have fun, a couple weeks ago, it was hot, I was outside, and just finished doing the yard, and so I turned on the hose, and just started spraying the kids, we had a big water fight in the backyard, um, This past week, we set up a tent in the living room because it's hot outside and I'm not sleeping outside. Uh, So we set up a tent in the living room and, and we camped out in the living room and we just, we have fun. We want our kids to know that it is fun to be a Christ follower in our house. Like, it is fun to be a Christ follower. And everything we do, every opportunity we get, we get to point our kids to Jesus Christ. Do you see the stars? Who created those stars? God did. Do you remember, who did God tell to count the stars? Abraham. Tell me about Abraham. Do you see that rainbow? Who in the Bible saw a rainbow? Noah. Tell me the story of Noah. You see that fish? Who got swallowed by a big fish? Jonah. Tell me the story of Jonah. Everything we do, we keep putting the word of God in front of them. We're leading intentionally. Another way we lead intentionally is um, we focus on our relationship, Uh, not just with our kids, but with each other. Amanda and I, uh, it, it used to be every week. Now that we have kids, it's, it's a little less frequent than that. Uh, and for that, I need to repent. It should be every week. Um, but fairly regularly, we have a date night. We have a date night because our kids need to know that they do not run the house. They are the not, not the most important people in that household. The most important relationship, apart from our relationship with God, is my relationship with my wife. James Dobson said, dads, if you want to give your kids a great gift, love their mother And so we demonstrate that, that, hey, look, mom and dad are going to go out, and we're going to have a good time. Sometimes that just means we're going to Walmart while somebody else watches the kids, and that's date night, and that is good enough for us. We are out, we're focused on each other, we're focusing on our relationship, and the kids know mom and dad value time with each other. But I also uh, take the kids out on dates. In fact, from the time Charlie was just over a year old, uh, we would go out on dates, and this is our first daddy-daughter date to Chick-fil-A. Um, It wasn't anything big, but you know what? She has this picture in her room, and she pulls it out all the time. She says, do you remember when we went on Daddy-Daughter Day? And in my mind, I'm thinking, how does she even remember that? She she could barely talk or walk at the time, but she remembers Daddy-Daughter Day. We've had a number of them since then, and we also do Daddy-Dude Dates. Uh, the reason we do the daddy-daughter dates is because when some hairy-legged boy comes along and wants to date my daughter, I want her to know you're not just looking for the guy with the muscles and the Justin Bieber hair. You want a guy that knows how to treat you right. If he doesn't open your car door for you, if he, if he pulls up and honks that horn and doesn't come to the door, you've got to know dad's coming out with the shotgun and he's driving away. Like, there is no date. Like, he's going to come to the door, he's going to meet me, he's going to look me in the eye and shake my hand. He's going to open your door for you. If he doesn't, then you don't get out of the car. If he doesn't open the door when you're getting in the car, you just stand there and wait till he does. If he doesn't pull your chair out for you, you stand there and wait for him to do it. And the same time, I'm having daddy-do dates with my sons, and I'm telling them all this stuff, and I'm showing them, hey, look, let's be a gentleman and hold this door for the ladies that are coming behind us. Let's let's remember, God gave you muscles. Why did God give you muscles? To protect my sister, to, to stand up for what's right, to protect those who can't protect themselves. That's right. God made you a warrior. God made you mighty. But he also gave you a brain so that maybe you won't have to use those muscles. Charlie, God made you beautiful. God made you nurturing so that you can love and care for the people around you. God made you smart so that, so that you can defend his word, so that you can stand up for what you know is right. And we instill these things in our kids. It's important that we lead. Um, One of the other things that we do is we include them in our evangelism. When we got into church planting, we knew that this was unlike any other ministry that we were going to be a part of. And so we included our kids in, um, at that time they weren't old enough to be included in the decisions, but we had them in our mind. Like, what's this going to do to them when we've got people at our house who don't go to church, um, have never been to church, aren't familiar with being in church, and don't know that it's not okay to say some of these words in front of little kids. And we decided that, you know what, that was our opportunity to Shepherd our kids through that, to say, Look, we know that you heard this, but you know Mommy and daddy don 't talk this way. Why do Mommy and Daddy not talk this way? because God says not to, OK, but this person over here doesn 't know God. we need to pray for them. Mommy and Daddy want you to know it 's not okay to talk this way, but this person doesn 't know God. We need to pray that they know God, and we walk them through that so that when they get older when they 're out on their own they 'll know how to make those decisions. Um, The other thing that we do, other than including them in our evangelism, like they are there, they are a part of it. We include them in prayer walks. Um, This is something that they have loved to do, and uh, we've got a picture here of one of our prayer walks. And I got to tell you, I was embarrassed, Uh, not because uh, because they're stopping and kneeling, but because when I was going on prayer walks, I was just kind of walking a neighborhood, and whenever I felt like to stop, I would stop, and we would we stopped at our first house. And uh, then we started walking, and I thought, okay, we'll go a couple houses down. We'll stop again, and we'll pray for whoever's in that house. Malachi gets to the next house and goes, let's pray for this house. So we prayed at that house. We get to the next house, and Charlie goes, what about this house? You missed this house. We've got to pray at this house. It's like, all right, we'll pray at this house. We did not get as far as I wanted to, but we prayed at every single house. And it wasn't just enough to walk and pray. They're like, no, we get on our knees and pray. And, and I was embarrassed that, I, that they were, in this instance, leading me. They were setting an example. But where did they learn that from? They learned it from us. And we had just forgotten what we taught them. Lead intentionally. Parents, you lead your children. Lead. Parents, lead your families intentionally. First, you, you've got to love God. You've got to lead intentionally. How do we do that? Uh, The Bible tells us that that we have to lead our children intentionally, and we do that by training. We have to train our children. Now, you can go through life, and you can let life just happen. And if you let life just happen, it will. And then you're going to send them off to college, you're going to walk them down the aisle, and you're going to wonder, where did all this time go? Like, what did I do? But if you train your children, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is not a promise that your kids are going to turn out perfect. But it is a principle that if you're faithful, more than likely your kids will know the right thing. Now, when it says train, that word train there is Hanak. Everybody say that. Hanak. That's a fun word to say. Hanak. All right? And here's what it means. It actually means the palate comes from the word for the palate of your mouth. And the reason they get that is because the midwives, the Hebrew midwives used to come and as soon as a baby was born, they would take some paste on their finger and press it to the roof of the child's mouth. And this, this would trigger uh, a feeding effect in the kid. And so they would hand the mother to the child after they'd pressed on the chanak and the child would nurse with his mother and eat and become strong. When we, when we talk about training our children, that means we initiate, we dedicate, we train them in the way they should go. And how do we do this? Well, the book of Proverbs gives us a list of ways that we can train our kids. Uh, And if you have your bulletin, they're there. The actual verses are there. We're not going to look at each individual ones. But as a parent, we have to train them to, number one, manage God's money. And yes, that's worded correctly. It's not their money. It's not your money. It's God's money, right? And we remember, back from our generosity series, that we are the manager and God is the owner. You ask our kids, Who owns this house? God does. But who's in charge? Daddy is. Whose toy is that? It's God's toy. But who's he giving responsibility of it to? Daddy, right? And so they know that that everything in our house belongs to God. Daddy's in charge of it, and Daddy decides who gets to play with it and who doesn't. It saves us a lot of fights. Teach them to manage God's money. Teach them to carefully select their friends. Carefully select their friends. Now, this isn't to say that you don't want them to have friends who don't go to church. Because they should have friends that don't go to church. But they should have a much larger circle of friends whose parents are like-minded. And leading them in the same direction. Uh, You want to encourage them, teach them, train them to watch their words. Watch their words. This is more than just language. This includes gossip. This includes the way that they speak to you. Right? They have to watch their words. Next, you want to teach them to be responsible. Our kids, from the time they could get their little chubby fingers around their toys, put their own toys away. They couldn't crawl. They couldn't walk. They could barely even lift their heads up. But they could grab a toy, and we would put the basket in front of them, and they would put it in. It took a lot longer, but guess what? Now they're three years old. We say, go clean up the toys, and guess what they do? They go clean up their toys. We've trained them to be responsible. We're training them to be responsible. Next, Guard their minds. Parents, you cannot underestimate the, the importance of this one, that they would guard their minds. What are they reading? What are they watching? It's not just enough to say, well, they're just watching the Disney Channel. There are shows on the Disney Channel where the, parents are, where the kids are so disrespectful to their parents. Is that really what you want them taking in? There are books, Berenstain Bears. Uh, it's not all of them, but there's one in particular where the dad is, like, made to be the idiot in the story. Like, can daddy get it right? And it's like they make dad out to be the moron. Is that really what you want your kids reading? I don't think so. You've got to guard their minds. You want to train them to be generous. When we did our generosity series, we pulled out our kids' give-save-spin jars. Their, their give jars were empty because as soon as they get it, they give it. They had a save jar, and we explained, you can't take from here, but here's your spin jar. Here's your cookie money, your ice cream money. Here's, here's your toy money, and we laid it out, all in $1 bills. We said, pull out how many you want to give to God for the generosity offering. And they each pulled out how much they wanted to give to God. They gave it to us. We put it in an envelope, and they came, and they handed it to the elders. Like, we're teaching them to be generous. Lastly, train them to fear God. What do we do with that? Train them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, and with all their strength. Parents' priority transfer dependence from yourself till it rests solely on God. How do we do that? We first love God, and second, we lead intentionally. If you're here this morning and you're like, look, I, I don't have kids, or maybe my kids are gone, they're out of the house, what do I do? What is this series going to have to offer me? Uh, I hope you can see how a lot of what we've talked about transfers into other areas of your life. Are you leading your friends, or are they leading you? Are you leading your coworkers spiritually, or are they leading you? Uh, are, are you training the people that, that are around you, new believers, baby believers, people that are children? Uh, are you training them what it looks like to walk with God. Are you loving God with all your heart? Are you preparing for the day that you might have kids or that your kids might have kids and you have influence over your grandkids? There's something for everyone here. I hope you know that. I hope uh, you can recognize how important it is, not only for those reasons, but also because there are children in church um, who don't have the influence of a dad and they need a strong male influence. And maybe you're one of those people that doesn't have kids at this time and you could be that strong male influence in their life. Maybe there are are kids whose moms are not present in their life and and as a godly woman, you could be a model for them of what it looks like to be a godly woman. What it looks like to love God. And you could train them in all the things that we've just talked about. What I want to do right now is I just want to pray for each and every one of us as we go from here that we would love God and then we would lead intentionally. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that you are the perfect father. That you are our heavenly father. Uh, and that you have shown us the way. Lord, And that um, even where we as parents may fail, that, that you are still perfect. And I pray that you would help us to lead those around us. Lord, may we be a demonstration of what it looks like to love God with all our heart. May you, may you show us what it looks like to lead intentionally in our areas. Father, we uh, we pray that you would uh, be with us this week as we go. We ask all this in Jesus' name, Amen.